Hi, my name is Rick Bloodworth. This is the Common Sense Christian Channel, and it's Friday, so we're going to be talking about finances today. And I want to continue to talk about the some of the lessons that are learned in George Clayson's book, The Richest Man in Babylon. But before I do that, I want to make sure that we have a proper perspective of why we're even talking about money in the first place. Whether Whatever resource we're talking about that God has given to us, whether it's our time, our health, uh, our opportunities, our, our jobs, our money, whatever it is, we need to be the best stewards of all these resources that God has given to us. We need to handle our time well. We need to make sure that our jobs are something that we can do to his glory. We need to make sure that whatever money that we have coming in is used with the idea that we want to be the best steward that we can of what we've been entrusted with. And once we have taken care of God's things first, and, and once we have made sure that we're always looking at whatever we have to be used to the best of our ability for God, then it's okay to be enjoying them to the fullest extent as long as we're not getting involved with sin and as long as we're not putting too much priority in one area over God. We can never place anything over God. We want to make sure that we recognize that everything we have is to be used in his service. Well, Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. We have one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. And Paul says this, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. Some of the versions will say many griefs or many sorrows. But the idea is that when we cease to look at money as a tool for God and we start looking at money as a God in itself and we start loving money and loving the idea of getting rich, uh, we start falling into a trap that's going to lead us into all sorts of sin and all sorts of sorrow. And so as we talk about these ideas of being able to use our money in a way to where we can actually increase our wealth, let's make sure that we keep the perspective that we're trying to do this so that we can be the best servant of God. Can we still enjoy an increase of wealth? And the answer is, of course, we can. We just can't let that come first before our service to God. Well, we've been looking at this uh, book by George S. Clayson, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, and have been talking about different strategies uh, for uh, getting wealth and for making it grow. And that's what we want to really look at today is a specific part of that. And it's called The Five Laws of Gold. Again, this book is sit, set in a historical setting in a real place, Babylon, probably about 1000 BC at this time. But he uses fictional characters to tell a story. And the character he uses to tell a story this time is, is a man who is a merchant trader. He's got a large caravan, and he goes from town to town selling his merchandise. Because it's so large and so much goods and money is involved, he has to hire a lot of people to handle those goods, to handle the camels that transport the goods, and also to guard the caravan from robbers along the way. Well... This merchant trader and his caravan have just got back to Babylon, and they're waiting that night. They're going to sleep outside of the walls of Babylon until the gates open the next day. And so he gathers around all of his men. There's 27 of them, 
And he starts by asking him a question, which would you rather have, a bag heavy with gold or a scroll upon which is written the wisdom of men? And all 27 voices in unison say the gold, the gold. <laughs> well, the merchant trader, he just kind of smiles and he pauses. And in the background, you can hear wild dogs howling in the background. And, and so he says, do you hear that? These dogs are howling and, and, and yelping because they're hungry. But give them food, and what do they do? They start strutting about and fighting and fighting and strutting about until they're hungry again, and then they start yelping and howling once the food is gone. He said, that's the way it is with gold. You're about to get paid. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to use it to just go into town and have a good time to strut around and fight until it's all gone? And then you're yelping and howling because you're hungry again? He said, I want to give you some principles that will help you to be able to handle your gold in a more wise fashion. And these principles come from a man by the name of Arcad, who was the richest man in Babylon. Well, they'd all heard of Arcad, and so they were anxious to hear the story. And he said, this story actually is not about Arcad specifically, but it's about his son, Nomasir, of whom he was a good friend. And so he had this story told to him by Nomasir, the son of Arcad, the richest man in Babylon. And so here is Nomasir's story. In Babylon, it is the custom, as you know, that the sons of wealthy fathers live with their parents in expectation of inheriting the estate. Arcad did not approve of this custom. Therefore, when Nomasir reached man's estate, he sent for the young man and addressed him, My son, it's my desire that thou succeed to me in my estate. Thou must, however, first prove that thou art capable of wisely handling it. Therefore, I wish that thou would go into the world and show thy ability both to acquire gold and to make thyself respected among men. To start thee well, I will give thee two things of which I myself was denied when I started as a poor youth to build up a fortune. First, I give you this bag of gold. If thou use it wisely, it will become the basis for your future success." Second, I have given thee on this clay tablet upon which is carved the five laws of gold. If thou dost but interpret them to thy own acts, they shall bring thee competence and security. Ten years from this day, come back to the house of thy father and give an account of thyself. If thou prove well worthy, I will make thee the heir to my estate. Otherwise, I will give it to charity." So Nomasir went forth to make his own way, taking his bags of gold, or his bag of gold, the clay tablet carefully wrapped in silken cloth, his slave and his horses upon which they rode. The ten years passed, and Nomasir, as he had agreed, returned to the house of his father, who provided a great feast in his honor, to which he invited many friends and relatives. After the feast was over, the father and the mother mounted their throne-like seats at one side of the great hall, and Nomasir stood before them to give an account of himself as he had promised his father. It was evening. The room was hazy with smoke from the wicks of the oil lamps, but dimly lighted. Slaves in white woven jackets and tunics fanned the humid air with long stem palm leaves. A stately dignified or dignity colored the scene. 
the wife of Nomasir and his two young sons, with friends and other members of the family, sat upon rugs behind him, eager listeners. My father, he began deferentially, I bow before thy wisdom. Ten years ago, when I stood at the gates of manhood, thou bade me go forth and become a man among men, instead of remaining a vassal to thy fortune. Thou gave me liberally of thy gold, thou gave me liberally of thy wisdom. Of the gold, alas, I must admit, a disastrous handling. It fled indeed from my inexperienced hands, even as a wild hare flees from the first opportunity from the youth who captures it. The father smiled indulgently. Continue, my son. Thy tale interests me in all its details. He continued, I decided to go to Nineveh as it was a growing city, believing I might find there opportunities. I joined a caravan and among its members made numerous friends, two well-spoken men who had most the most beautiful white horse as fleet as the wind were among these friends. As we journeyed, they told me in confidence that in Nineveh was a wealthy man who owned a horse so swift it had never been beaten. Its owner believed that no horse living could run with greater speed. Therefore, he would wager any sum, no matter how large, that his horse could outspeed any horse in all of Babylon. Compared to their horse, so my friend said, it was but a lumbering donkey that could be beaten with ease. And so they offered me as a great favor a permission to join them in a wager. I was quite carried away with the plan. Our horse, as it turned out, was badly beaten, and I lost much of my gold. At this point, the father laughed and said, Continue on, my son. No, Monsieur continued. Later, I discovered that this was a deceitful plan of these men, and they constantly journeyed with caravans seeking victims. You see, the man in Nineveh was their partner and shared with them the bets he won. This shrewd deceit taught me my first lesson in looking out for myself. I was soon to learn another equally bitter lesson. In the caravan was another young man with, with, with whom I had become quite friendly. He was the son of wealthy parents and, like myself, journeying to Nineveh to find a suitable location. Not long after our arrival, he told me that a merchant had died and his shop with its rich merchandise and patronage could be secured at a paltry price, saying that he would be equal partners, but first he must return to Babylon to secure his gold. He prevailed upon me to purchase the stock with my own gold, agreeing that his would be used later to carry on our venture. He long delayed the trip to Babylon, proving in the meantime to be an unwise buyer and a foolish spender. I finally put him out, but not before the business had deteriorated to the point where we only had unsaleable goods and no gold to buy any more. I sacrificed what was left for a pitiful sum. Soon there followed, I tell you, my father, bitter days. I sought employment and found it not for I was without trade or training that would enable me to earn. I sold my horses, I sold my slave, I sold my extra robes that I might have food and a place to sleep. But each grim day, want crouched closer. But it was in those bitter days I remembered thy confidence in me, my father. You had sent me forth to become a man, and I was determined to accomplish. At this point, Nomasir's mother wept bitterly. No, Monsieur continued, 
At this time I bethought of the, ta- or the tablets that thou had given me, upon which thou had carved the five laws of gold. Thereupon I read most carefully the words of wisdom, and realized that had I but sought wisdom first, my gold would not have been lost to me. I learned by heart each of the five laws, and determined that when once again good fortune smiled upon me, I would be guided by the wisdom of age, and not by the inexperience of youth. For the benefit of you who are seated here this night, I will read the wisdom contained that my father gave me that's engraved on these five tablets. And here are the five laws of gold. The first, gold cometh gladly to any man who will put not less than one-tenth of his earnings to create an estate for his future and that of his family. Number two, gold laboreth diligently and contentedly for the wise owner who finds for it profitable employment, multiplying even as the flocks of the field. Three, gold clingeth to the protection of the cautious owner who invests it under the advice of men wise in its handling. Four, gold slippeth away from the man who invests it in business or purposes with which he is not familiar or which are not approved by those skilled in its keep. And five, gold flees the man who would force it to impossible earnings, or who followeth the alluring advice of tricksters and schemers, or who trusts it to his own inexperience and romantic desires of investment. These are the five laws as written by my father, and I do proclaim them as greater value than gold itself, as I will show you by the circumstances of my tale." He again faced his father, I have told thee the depth of poverty and despair which my inexperience brought me to, but there is no chain of disasters that will not at some point come to an end, and mine came to an end when I secured employment managing a crew working upon the outer wall of the city. Profiting from my knowledge of the first law of gold, I saved a copper for my first earnings, adding to it at every opportunity until I had a piece of silver. I was a slow procedure, for one must live, and I did spend grudgingly, I admit, because I was determined to earn back before the ten years were over as much gold as you, my father, had entrusted me with. One day, the master, with whom I had become quite friendly, said to me, Thou art a thrifty youth who spends not wantonly what he earns. Hast thou then gold put by that's not earning?' Yes, I replied, it's my great desire to accumulate gold to replace that which my father gave to me and which I have already lost. Tis a worthy ambition, I will grant. And do you know that the gold you have saved can work for you and earn much gold? Alas, my experience has been bitter, for my father's gold has fled from me, and I am in much fear, lest my own do the same. If thou hast confidence in me, the man said, I will give thee a lesson in the profitable handling of gold. Within a year, the outer wall of Babylon will be completed and ready for the great gates of bronze that will be built at each entrance to protect the city from the king's enemies. In all of Nineveh, there is not enough bronze to make these gates, and the king is not thought to provide it. Here is my plan. A group of us will pool our gold and send a caravan to the mines of copper and tin which are distant, and bring uh, to Nineveh the metal for the gates. 
When the king says, make the great gates, we alone can supply the metal and rich price he will pay. If the king will not buy from us, we will still have the metal which can be sold for a fair price. In his offer, I recognized an opportunity to abide by the third law and invest my savings under the guidance of wise men. And I was not disappointed. Our pool was a success, and my small store of gold was greatly increased by the transaction. In due time, I was accepted as a member of this group in other ventures. They were men wise in the profitable handling of gold. They talked over each plan presented with great care before entering upon it. They would take no chance on losing their principal or tying it up in, in unprofitable investments from which their gold could not be recovered. Such foolish things as the horse race and the partnership into which I had entered with my inexperience would have had small consideration with them. They would have immediately pointed out its weakness. Through my association with these men, I learned to safely invest gold to bring profitable returns. As the years went on, my treasure increased more and more rapidly. I not only made back as much as I lost, but much more. Through my misfortune in my trials and my success, I have tested time and time again the wisdom of the five laws of gold, my father, and have proven them true at each test. To him who is out without knowledge of the five laws, gold comes not often and goeth away quickly. But to him who abideth by the five laws, gold comes and works for him as his dutiful slave. No messier ceased speaking in motion to a slave in the back of the room. The slave brought forward one at a time three heavy bags of gold. One of these no messier took and placed on the floor before his father, addressing him again. Thou didst give me a bag of gold, Babylon gold. Behold, in its place I do return thee a bag of Nineveh gold, of equal weight, and equal exchange, all will agree. Thou didst give to me a clay tablet inscribed with wisdom. Behold, in its place I do return two bags of gold. And so saying, he took from the slave the other two bags, and likewise placed them on the floor in front of his father. This I do prove to thee, Father, of how much greater value I consider thy wisdom than thy gold. Yet who can measure in bags of gold the value of wisdom? Without wisdom, gold is quickly lost by those who have it. But with wisdom, gold can be secured by those who have it not, as these three bags of gold do prove. It does indeed give me the deepest satisfaction, my father, to stand before thee and say that because of thy wisdom, I have been able to become rich and respected among men. Well, Arkad, his father, placed his hand fondly upon the head of Nomasir. Thou hast learned well thy lessons, and I am indeed fortunate to have a son to whom I may entrust my wealth. Well, that was the end of the tale of Nomasir and his uh, lessons in learning how to handle gold. Well, the merchant trader that was telling those who are in his caravan with him made this point to them before they left. He said, I want to remind you of the five laws of gold. The first law of gold, gold cometh gladly and in increasing quantity to any man who will put by not less than one-tenth of his earnings to create an estate for, for his future and for his family. And then he said this, Any man who will put by one-tenth of his earning 
consistently and invest it wisely will create a valuable estate that will provide an income for him in the future and further guarantee the safety for his family. This law also saith that gold cometh gladly to such a man. I can truly certify this in my own life. The more gold I accumulate, the more readily it seems to come to me, and in increased quantities. The gold which I save earns more, even as yours will, and its earnings earn more. This is the working out of the first law. The second law, gold laboreth diligently and contentedly for the wise owner who finds for it profitable employment, multiplying it even as the flocks of the field. And the merchant trader said this, Gold indeed is a willing worker. It's ever eager to multiply when opportunity presents itself. To every man who has a store of gold set by, opportunity comes for its most profitable use. As the years pass, it multiplies itself in surprising fashion. And then he reminded them of the third law of gold. Gold clingeth to the protection of the cautious owner who invests it under the advice of wise men in its handling. And he further explained, gold indeed clings to the cautious owner, even as it flees the careless owner. The man who seeks the advice of men wise in handling gold soon learns not to jeopardize his treasure, but to preserve it in safety and to enjoy in contentment its consistent increase. And then he gave them again the fourth law of gold. Gold slips away from the man who invests it in businesses or purposes with which he is not familiar or which are not approved by those skilled in its keep. To the man who has gold yet is not skilled in its handling, many uses for it appear profitable. Too often these are fraught with danger of loss, and if properly analyzed by wise men, show small possibility of profit. Therefore, the inexperienced experienced owner of gold, who trusts to his own judgment and invests in businesses or purposes with which he's not familiar, too often finds his judgment imperfect and pays with his treasure for his inexperience. Wise indeed is he who invests his treasure under the advice of men skillful in the ways of gold. And the fifth law of gold, gold flees the man who would force to it impossible earnings or who follows the alluring advice of tricksters and schemers or who trusts in his own inexperience and romantic desires in investment. Fanciful propositions that thrill like adventure tales always come to the new owner of gold. These appear to endow his treasure with magic powers that will enable it to to impossible earnings Yet heed the wise men, for verily they know the risks that lurk behind every plan to make great wealth suddenly. Well, these five laws of gold, or these five laws of handling money, we can see are really important. But again, I want to point out that these come under the understanding that we serve God, and we're just using the resource of money for him. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll despise the one and be loyal to the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, keep this in mind. As we talk about the five laws of gold or the five principles of correctly handling money, 
Keep them in the perspective of stewardship, and you're going to do pretty good. Again, once you have taken care of God's purposes and you're trying to do your best with everything you have, you can then enjoy all sorts of things, your time, your family, your job, and even your money. Just give God his due first, and you're going to do very well. But again, these five principles. The first is the idea of, of making sure you save back 10% of everything you earn. The second idea is to make sure that you then take that 10% and put it to some wise investment that has a great chance of not only holding the initial investment, but increasing, whether through interest or dividends or whatever it is that you've put that money to use on. The third is to make sure that you surround yourself with wise advice. My advice to you is this. <laughs> Look to the scripture to find out how God expects you to use your resources, including money. If you'll do that first, then you can start and seek out wise advice from wise men. If their advice is consistent with that which you read within scripture, then you can be a lot more confident that the advice they're given is going to be good. But if their advice is contrary to what you find in the Bible, even if it seems successful, you're going to find yourself filled with a lot of sorrow in this life. The fourth law of gold is this idea that it will be fleeting and it will leave the incautious man. There are way too many people who, because they just won't listen to good advice or because they just have a thought that whatever they think is going to work, that though they're trying to, to handle money wisely, they continually lose it because they're inexperienced and they're incautious. And then the fifth law or the fifth principle of handling money is don't try and use it to get rich quick. These schemes always seem like they're going to work. They always seem like it's the easy way to riches. If you don't believe that, just look how many people buy lottery tickets each day in America. It's just incredible how people are wanting to get rich quick in such a way that they're willing to throw their money away day after day when they could have been using that money for things they really needed like food and shelter and then even had some left over for proper investments. Again, the idea behind all of this is to try and be at the best steward we can be to God. He's given us an awful lot of things to enjoy in this life, but this life is fleeting. And if you give too much attention to the physical things of this life, including money, you're going to find that your life is filled with sorrow, and you're going to find that your life ends a lot quicker than you were anticipating. Someday we're going to an eternity. We're either going to an eternal reward in heaven, not because we deserve it, but because we have handled as best we could God's instruction to us, and by his grace we'll be in heaven with him forever. But if we handle our resources unwisely, if we prove to be unfaithful stewards, well, the eternity that's waiting for us is hell, and that's an eternity that will be unbearable no matter how rich and happy you may have been in this physical life. 
something worth thinking about. I hope these principles help you. Uh, I hope this, this channel has helped you. If it has, do me a favor, like the video and uh, sub consider subscribing to the channel. It'll help the message get out to more people. But until uh, we next time, I really do pray that God will help you in the wise use of all your resources, including money. And I pray that you'll be successful as you seek to serve him to the best of your ability. God bless you.